Welcome to episode 225 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Zach Johnston. He is a designer at Dropbox, currently working on their design systems team. But before we get into the episode, we want to thank our sponsors for making this specific, individual, wonderful episode of Design Details possible. Our first sponsor is the most delicious domain name registrar you've ever heard of, mm. Pork Bun. Mm. Don't do that noise. I want some... Thanks. I want some dim sum right now just thinking about it. They're going to stop giving us their money if you keep doing this. Pork Bun is a domain registrar, but they're doing something special. Uh, we all know that dot coms are like literally the hardest thing to, to register these days. Uh, getting any sort of unique or memorable or short dot com URL is, is going to either cost you a lot of money or it's nary impossible. <laughs> nary. That's okay because uh, ICANN's introduced a ton of really cool top level uh, domain names like dot .design which for uh, you a designer is a perfect opportunity to get something That's that is assumption, my friend. short, unique, memorable and personalized just for you. Nary.design is uh, free. There you go. Interesting. If you want to get in early, get in while you can, get in while the getting's good Go to porkbun.com and get your own .design domain name. If you use the promo code SPEC, you're going to get a free .design domain name bundled up with all sorts of stuff that Porkbun gives you anyways, like uh, who is privacy, SSL certificates, uh, that sort of stuff. This is a perfect example. Nary.com is unavailable, but Nary.design is free with our with our code. Boom. Nary.design. This is... Nailed it. We did one for you. We're on the internet right now at porkbun.com. And you can go get that. We won't even do it. They so. also have a really wonderful logo that is a pig's butt in the shape of a pork bun. <laughs> it's like the pork buns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great registrar, great name, great logo, and time for you to get a great domain name. Go to porkbun.com, get your .design domain. Uh, it's just going to be 35 bucks for the next year, but that domain's going to be uh, free with the promo code SPEC. Thanks once again to Porkbun. Our second sponsor is our friends at Fuse. Fuse is changing the way that you and your team build apps for iOS and Android. Uh, they are bringing in an entirely new set of development tools that make it incredibly easy and efficient and scalable and intuitive to build, deploy, uh, and, and collaborate on iOS and Android apps. Indubitably. No more prototyping. They've, it's nonsense. They've created this really cool UX markup language that lets you write your code once. Uh, it handles transitions, animations, navigations, interactions, pulls in live data. So you have this really wonderful preview of your app without having to write this incredibly complex code. And all of that gets compiled down to native platform code. So Objective-C or Java, which means what you're shipping to, to people's phones is real native code. Which is the only thing that really should ship to their phones because everything else is trash. That's right. They're making it incredibly easy. Just kidding. I'm uh, not that person. The way, the way I think about it is uh, instead of learning, um, I don't know, like loops and noodles and stuff like that, you could just learn uh, this really nice UX markup language. Uh, it's going to help you compose apps and views and transitions. Uh, you can preview all of that on your Mac or on your PC. And at the end of the day, what you have is not just a prototype of a thing, but a thing that you can actually ship to an app store and have someone use in real life, which is pretty incredible. And it's never been this accessible. 
and the time is now. So if you want to learn more, go to fusetools.com. They've got tons of examples. They've got a showcase of all the stuff people are building with Fuse. Uh, you can dig through their documentation, which is really, really nice. Explains what's possible, how to do very specific platformy things. Uh, and you can try it for free. It's crazy. You can go to uh, download it for free, start building an app today, costs you nothing. Uh, you'll learn it pretty quick, I'm sure. Uh, but if you are working with a team and uh, you need a little bit more, more power and collaborative control, you can get Fuse Pro. For that pro toe typing. Just, just kidding. It's not it. Because you don't have to do that anymore. But it was, man, I tried. I tried, and that's all there is. And you can do better than that. And you can go use Pro, which is like an awesome visual tool that will let you build your components and actually ship real code. Yeah, the professional plan, the main thing that you get is... uh, Studio. uh, Fuse Studio. It's basically like an IDE. You could think of it like uh, Unity, but for developing apps. So it's going to have all... Are you familiar with Unity? Unity's good stuff. Yeah, Unity is... uh, It's hard, but it's good. For making games, but this is basically the, the... the same setup one for making workflow. applications. It keeps all of your assets, all of your code, all of your layouts, uh, all with a really nice UI that makes it easy to adjust things and, and tweak it to exactly how you want it. You design build in one place. If you're interested in Fuse Professional for your team, if you use the promo code DD at checkout, stands for design details, that's going to get you 70% off that professional plan uh, for 12 months. Um, and that code can only be redeemed before the end of the year. Which is coming up soon. Coming yeah, like up three weeks. very soon. Go get it. So even if you're just interested personally, go to fusetools.com, get started today. And if your team is ready to upgrade the way you design, build, and ship applications, upgrade to the professional plan and use the promo code DD. So thanks once again to Fuse. And with that, let's get an episode 225 with Zach Johnston. Uh, my name is Zach Johnson. I'm a designer at Dropbox. Uh, I work right now on the design systems team, and I think of myself as a design systems designer, but largely just a product designer. Cool. And so you just switched teams? Switched teams about a month and a half ago. Yeah. And so what are you working on? Right now, I, I'm owning the website of our design systems. So that means all of our web products, the kind of components, style guides, and tools that they rely on, making sure that those are high quality and very usable for our designers. What's a design system? Uh, design system. <laughs> this Careful. is, this is Careful. the <laughs> big question, yeah. Um, for us, for me, I think about design systems as, um, well, first I think about our customers. So our customers are actually not so much the users who use Dropbox, they're um, the internal folks at Dropbox. So for myself, uh, I think a lot about the people inside of Dropbox like designers, but also engineers, writers, illustrators, marketers um, that are all going to rely on this system. And I think about what does what their day-to-day look like? Um, what are the problems they face? For designers, it's largely uh, working in Sketch or Figma and trying to figure out you know, what the latest component is, what I can use, what I can't use, knowing when to break rules. Um, so for me, I think about how do I build the best ecosystem for them to kind of freely explore the right product decisions while keeping on brand. That's like the crux of it though, right? It's like, how do you balance policing versus being open-minded to better things? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's easy to shift towards the policing side. Do you have Um, a badge? 
I do not. I wish. <laughs> you walk up to people's <laughs> desks and shove a badge in their face. We need to have a talk. Yeah, and I, I think it, that tends to be what happens. Um, and I've been guilty of that. DVPD, uh, holy shit, product design, <laughs> not police department. <laughs> That's not bad. I'm going to get a badge of that on it now. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Please do. Um, I'd like one too, honorary. I'll give you guys one too. Yeah. Thanks. I'll, I'll invite you guys in and you can walk around and yell at people for using the wrong color. Sounds yes. good. Sounds good. Yeah, and I think... <laughs> Sorry. I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to tangent you uh, on this show. I don't okay, know if good. you've listened to the show before. but Of course. <laughs> okay. We're going to go wild, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the police conversation or, or the policing dilemma is something that I've struggled with. Um, it's easy to get into this mindset of, like, people need to follow our rules, and when they don't follow the rules, they're largely kind of hurting our brand. Mm-hmm. But I think... A lot of the best work I've seen at Dropbox comes from people going off-brand or exploring new directions. Careful, and you're encouraging people to leave the style guide right now. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And it's something that if you do it right, uh, people feel like they know the path to diverge, but they also know the path to come back. So they know that if uh, they break off and find something really interesting, they're not going to be off on their own island and kind of forever uh, at odds with our system but they feel comfortable coming to us and saying like this is an interesting direction how can we explore bringing it back in right um so if that means like rethinking dropbox navigation like cool go go explore that and if left it, sidebar bam left, left sidebar yeah if, if we want <laughs> to sidebar that, is seated for the rest of it <laughs> <laughs> on its own yeah it's it's all open but then i think the the inverse of that is if you go too creative or if you kind of have people feeling like there is no system, then the the small decisions on the day-to-day basis uh, constantly diverge, right? So you get people who are not intentionally saying like, let's go have a different button, but they're just like, I opened up an old sketch file, pulled in a button, and next thing you know, engineer is implementing you know a button with the wrong border radius or a slightly different color. And these aren't like important decisions or important deviations. And I think then that, that becomes the point where it's like, okay, we do need a place we do need to kind of look around our product and make sure that there aren't uh, wildly different styles or disconnected uh, brand elements throughout. Why do you think it is that designers want to reinvent every fucking thing? The deviance. I mean, having just come from the role <laughs> of a product designer, <laughs> reinventing everything. Well, no, I think it's, it's like, like no, my button's better because it has four pixels rounded corners. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I Brian. <laughs> That's true. Why do designers feel like uh, maybe it's like this this feeling of um wanting to be uh original and unique in your own space. So like I remember just 2 months ago coming from a team where I was working on product design stuff, like my favorite part of the day was going off and just exploring new styles and probably why I ended up going into design <laughs> systems. Um but every time that like Ed, one of the designers on our systems team would come to me and be like hey zach that's not the right style i'd be like ah damn it like no let me explore um so you sold out and joined the man so i sold out (laughs) um and i like i totally respected the the point of view that this design system scene was coming from but it always felt like uh it was inhibiting my creativity and so i don't i don't think i have the right answer at the moment of how do you balance the policing with the kind of creativity but i i think you're right it's something that every designer has something inside of them where they they want to kind of push the boundary and explore something new. Um, I have a hypothesis. What is it? Two things. And one thing um, I think you know about. Uh, <laughs> well, you know about both of them. Uh, I think one is You're like... You're generally aware. Inaccessible 
access to the system itself、mm. or like lack of transparency into why the system is the way it is, especially for new employees. Yeah, so it's like, documentation. Absolutely.、Uh, it's documentation, but it's also ease of access. Like if I'm, let's say I'm in、uh, Figma and I'm in my own file, but the design system's in a different file and I have to switch between files to Team Libraries, idiot. Yeah, yeah. But if, if you don't have that or if you're in Sketch and you don't have, Basically, like a keyboard shortcut, and then you type ahead a letter of the name of a component and hit enter. You've already have too much friction. It's like if you have to have a separate file open, or if you have to open a web browser, or like anything like that, the friction's too high. So it's、yeah. just like fuck it. Because you get into a flow state where you're moving so fast. All right. Second hypothesis is、uh, it's like the transparency of the system. It's like why should I abide by the rules that they won't even tell me why the rules exist? Yeah. Hmm. So in in that second one, it's like really helping designers know why、yeah. they're they're in place. But that that feels like, like oh that tab bar looks shitty. I bet I could do better. Yeah, <laughs> that feels a little like more specificity around the documentation、Probably. part of the first hypothesis. Sure. And I also wonder if I mean you mentioned abstract the ability for designers to see the history of a component or see the、mm-hmm. the things that have been tried in the past. I wonder if that would actually reduce the amount of like. People coming in and saying, you know, this tab bar is wrong. If you can see all the variations, you're like, okay, they they've tried things. It's not like、yep. they just went out and、yeah. decided this should be like visualizing a timeline of components. Is yeah, certainly an interesting way to document that. Yeah,、um, yeah. I think the transparency and like the historical reference. I remember <laughs> when I went to Facebook is like, I'm going to come up with so many original ideas, and then you realize that there's like thousands of smart people that have thought about that for the last ten years. And Wait, then you, you start- went to Facebook to be original. No, no, shut up. <laughs> no, but you're like,、ah, I bet I can bring in some fresh ideas. And then you realize people thought of most things, and they've like aligned on patterns for either good reasons or political reasons. Or yeah, yeah, it's happened recently. <laughs> but like being able to see why is, would just be so helpful and save you a lot of, I don't know, heartache. <laughs> yeah, especially when you guys have well, when Facebook has like what, 800 designers now. And oh, I have no idea. It's crazy. But、um, I was gonna say this happened recently with.、Uh, Our, we we wanted to name our design systems team, or rather our guidelines, and we tossed around a number of names. And That's the most important part. DBPD. It is the most important. Yeah, <laughs> DBPD,、uh, and yeah, DBPD.、Um, and finally,、Vice、we're like,、division. you know, let's just let's just go with something like non-controversial. Let's go with something that's kind of a, a typical, like a standard, right? So Apple has Hig, Facebook has Fig, and we're like, let's just go dig Dropbox interface guidelines, and then. A week later, I'm at the Figma Design Systems Dinner, chat, catching up with like Dan Eden, who used to work at Dropbox, and they've got mentioned to him. <laughs> oh yeah, they have big.、Uh, and he was like, "Yeah, you know that we we're gonna call it Design Interface or Dropbox Interface Guidelines like three years ago." <laughs> like <laughs> shit. Okay, yeah, everything has been tried. It's not new. Yeah. Uh, we're sticking with it though. Adam and Dan Eden both being there and being like, "Yeah, we've done this stuff." <laughs> Is, yeah. That was a a dinner with a lot of people. This this was a Figma design systems dinner. Yeah,、uh, it was like a prototype for this thing that they're starting. Yeah, um, and they invited kind of the people who could kind of shut down any conversation, <laughs> like Adam Michaela, who's built design systems at Airbnb, Dropbox, and Facebook. He's like, yeah, yeah no, here's here's what we did for everyone around the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of speculation. This is just <laughs> what happened. <laughs> yeah, super interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of、uh, Dropboxers or ex Dropboxers there. I think. Dan Eden, Rasmus, Nathan、mm-hmm. Boro. It's really interesting to kind of see where they've gone now and how that like Dropbox culture maybe has shifted or merged with other companies. But yep. yeah, so how big is the design systems team at Dropbox? We are three and a half, four designers. Okay,、uh, 
Someone's and, really short. Uh, well, so we have one designer for each of our core platforms. So we have myself doing web, um, Ed Chow doing mobile, um, and then we had a new designer, Adam Nofsinger, who's doing kind of the desktop design systems. Uh, oh, Siri. Yeah, so we have Adam Nofsinger doing uh, the desktop design systems, and um, we actually have a couple other designers. Um, Sam Zhao is another one working kind of half on the system and then also half on a product surface. Got it. Um, so at its core, there's these three designers. Um, we have two engineers kind of building the infrastructure for all the design systems work. Um, and then our manager, Adam Pulselli, kind of helping guide us in strategy and figure out where we're going next. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, kind of coming back to the policing versus like exposing or like letting people be creative, like how do you spend your day? <laughs> yeah. How do, you, how do you break down your time and like what's the most important burning task on your list, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I think, so I came from, you know, six years ago from like a very startup entrepreneurial background. And this is the first role at Dropbox where I felt that kind of entrepreneurial uh, spirit again, because on a day-to-day -day basis or really a week-to-week, -week, I'm sort of trying to figure out what is the most important thing I can be doing. Um, I'm not working with a PM who's kind of laying out a roadmap and saying like, here are the things that we should be working on. Um, so for example, my first two weeks on the design systems team, I was refactoring our whole sketch template system. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. So this is something that, you know, non-designers might be like, why, what? <laughs> but for someone coming, like using our sketch template, um, for the past two and a half years coming in, I was like, this is broken. Like every designer relies on this. Like my, you know, top priority is just getting this in a good shape. So very proud of uh, redoing that, launched it to uh, the design team. And then now I'm focused largely on building out our kind of internal website. So I mentioned design interface guidelines, dig. Uh, we have our own internal um, tool that basically helps uh, answer the why uh, for every component, but also uh, getting into the details of how to use components, uh, how as an engineer to use it, what are the writing guidelines? Just all the pieces that go into yeah. defining the, the pieces of our system. Does it feel like a lot of busy work keeping the design and code sides in sync that way? Kind of. I, I think there's like the really clever way to solve this problem, which is connecting design and code in some programmatic way. And I'm interested in that. I'm curious if that's something that maybe the future of design systems will make easier. Um, Right now, our process is just designers and engineers sitting next to each other and talking, sharing updates. How um, old-fashioned. How old-fashioned, yeah. <laughs> uh, it works. It works when you have you know yeah. five, six people. I imagine as you grow the design systems team to something you know the size of Apple's HIG or Facebook or anything. Apple has zero people on a HIG team, for what it's worth. Really? Yep. There are no dedicated people. Huh. So you just have like, a lot of process, or is it a, a uh, cover? Yeah, Bryn, tell us about the uh, intricate inner workings of Apple. <laughs> I worked on the Figma, <laughs> the Figma UI kit with Apple, and there was one person working on HIG resources at the time really? with the sketch files. Yeah, that's bananas. Do they have? Do you know if they have like a? That was his part-time thing. <laughs> that's Ooh. fascinating. Yeah, maybe every kind of product area has their own break-off HIG. I wouldn't be surprised, given it the 
degree of inconsistencies between first party apps. This, this was nine months ago. So yeah, that may have changed, but yeah, there were zero now dedicated That's a hundred people. It's, it's nine months. <laughs> right. <stepped up>. Yeah, <laughs> They've really scaled up. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. Um, how do you, I feel like I'm asking, I'm interviewing you for a job, uh, but how do you measure the success of the work that you're doing? How do you know if you've built a good system? I have to think about this. I, I think I, do, I dove right into just fixing problems that I, I knew existed um, that didn't take a step back as like, what is success metric? But if I think about it, um, it, it's somewhat what I mentioned earlier with like, if we think about our customer as being a Dropboxer, not necessarily the external Dropbox user, um, then success looks like them being able to do their job. It's kind of corny. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I buy that. Yeah. And I think the secondary metric is like the quality of the product. Um, but I actually put more emphasis on designers doing their job because I trust that the people we have working at Dropbox know what a high quality product is. And so, um, other than the like minor discrepancies between button styles that they might not notice, they'll know what a good product looks like. Um, but yeah, I guess the second would be uh, making sure that our product is cohesive and kind of stays up with the time, stays up with our external brand components, stays up with um, the latest styles that designers are using uh, and feels fresh. But I don't know, it's, it's something, yeah. do you have a, a, an answer for that? Uh, what design systems looks like when it's successful? No, I, I, I don't have an answer. That's why I was hoping you would uh, answer and you did. Um, but I, I like the idea of um, like time saved, like from your, if your customer is designers and PMs and engineers at Facebook or sorry, Dropbox, fuck. Um, like, have you, can you build a thing that saves them an hour a week? Yeah. Cause that's times, I don't know, 100 people, 100 hours a week. Yeah. 50, whatever thousand hours per per year whatever and like sweet whatever you just built saved the yeah. company this much money and made everyone this much happier and this much more efficient yeah absolutely the funny thing is we actually think about dropbox as a product in a little bit similar way <laughs> so um so it aligns it aligns yeah uh so if you think about the people who use dropbox our goal isn't necessarily to ensure that the things that they do are you know, high quality, or we're not trying to govern the work they do. <laughs> this uh, PDF is ugly. <laughs> <laughs> we have little like tooltips that pop up, like, hey, misaligned. Psst, have a better slide deck, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Um, <laughs> Hackathon. We, we, Clippy two. <laughs> we don't try to, to impose any styles on our customer, on our, you know, Dropbox customers, but uh, I'm sure if we built a product, that would <laughs> cause a lot of shit. Um, but I think like I growing up, I, I love sci-fi. I love thinking about kind of the the next you know generation of technology, what we're going to be doing in the future. And I have often thought about like, oh, it'd be so cool to go work at like a SpaceX or go work on some like biomedical company. But I think about Dropbox is sort of like the second line of defense there where like there are people, uh, smarter people than me working <laughs> on amazing things out there. And what they need is actually tools that enable them to do that. Mm -hmm. And there are specialized tools, right? If you go work at SpaceX, I'm sure you can build internal tools that help their engineers kind of test their rockets or man a mission. But there's also um, external tools that they use. So all of our kind of Silicon Valley uh, products or SaaS products yeah. that they rely on that, you know, even if it's boring, it does save 
them time in the long run and it kind of helps them get their work done. So I, I think about, uh, maybe naively, I think about like my work as helping yeah. kind of be that, that second line of defense to make sure that the future actually happens um, and that we don't kind of waste our time. It's higher order support. Yeah. I totally buy that. I think uh, we we had a, a really great conversation with um, May Lee and Andy Matushak and they were talking about why they worked in education and it was similar line of logic is like, well, if we can make it easier for people to learn X, Y, and Z, then they can go on yeah. and do great things in those fields. And like if we've made it, those fields accessible to more people, then we've done a really good like high level job of <laughs> enabling productivity or success or innovation or whatever. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think education is probably, probably the most impactful like second line <laughs> of defense you can have <laughs> yeah. a little bit longer term thinking because you got to wait, you know, 18 years or so per yeah, improvement. Um, but yeah, I wonder... The one thing I actually used to work in ed tech and the one thing I thought about is like with education software, you're kind of you're you're generally solving education across the board or you're you're not focusing on one subject. You're not gonna focus in on like science or math. Um you're off like a lot of the tools that you build in ed tech are uh cross uh disciplines. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with something like Dropbox where you're I may be most passionate about getting to Mars, but I can't build Dropbox in a way that solves <laughs> <Getting to> just <laughs> like space travel problems. Um, so I also have to solve problems for people doing everything, you know, marketing. How do you, uh, how do you sync <laughs> files when there's a 30 second package response time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like there are there are cases where I've actually seen we've interviewed uh, like in research interview people who are doing um, like medical research and a lot of their problems are around like large files or being HIPAA compliant. So there are Times where I've been able to work on things that directly impact, sure, like yeah. allowing Dropbox to be HIPAA compliant was a cool project. Um, and so I get a kick out of that. But, but for the most part, it's like we're solving everyone's problem. We're not we're not <laughs> cherry picking like the industries we care about. We, um, yeah. I would counter. It seems like the shift now is towards like creatives. Yes. Yeah. And that is a good point. I think. Thanks. Dropbox being now <laughs> ten years old. Uh, we're understanding who our customers are. We're understanding kind of the types of work that uh, Dropbox is best suited for and also the types of work that we're passionate about. Um, and so with the new rebrand, um, this has actually been kind of a long time in the works internally, how we think about our customers and who we care about. Um, and I think for us, and especially in the design team, uh, we care about helping people be their most creative or do their best work. Um, I think a lot of times productivity software is about being productive. And we mentioned before, like saving time. And that is great. But I don't think anyone at the end of the day just wants to get more done. <laughs> no, uh... one, no one wants to just do busy work. <laughs> Maybe you guys. Maybe you guys. <laughs> I know for myself, uh, we were raising our hands. That's a bad audio. Slowly raise our hands. We know about this. Yeah, yeah. Two hundred episodes in. Uh, I I don't care as much about getting more work done. I think there is some pleasure that comes from like producing a lot. But what you tend to remember is your best work and the days where you just kind of get in the zone, do something really meaningful. And so at Dropbox, we think about that, and it's like, how do we? help people get into that spot and feel creative again? Um, how do we make a, a place for them to get energized um, and not just feel like they're checking off to-do list items all day? Hmm. 
Uh, you guys, you guys clearly like doing busy work. So. No, 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 no. Wow. No, I don't like doing busy <laughs> I mean, work. The thing is, I agree with you, but I just understand like somebody has to do the the checklist stuff, and it just happens to be me right now. So I'm in the, in the mindset. <laughs> well, both of us and all three of us. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, my mindset's just like really fucked up right now. Where it's like, nope, there's just a million things that I have to get done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are. I think there are times where you're doing quote unquote busy work. Yeah. Um, but you can do it in a way that's exciting. Like, well, I think of busy work as minutia, right? Like hmm. it's small changes that just take up time. Yeah. Whereas like productivity is like larger scale quantitative output in my mind. Hmm. Do you think you can, in that minutia, you can still kind of do things differently or do things creatively or yeah, it's better sure. just I to mean, move fast and get it done? I uh, think some of the minutia we're, is... We're in a different spot than we have been in many other companies we've worked at, but... Fair. Like we have to get large scale things done as fast as possible. Yeah. I mean, for me, I don't know. We could have like a really long philosophical debate about this. But for me, like some of the minutiae for me today is like pixel work and like getting things pixel perfect. And is this like totally consistent? Does this adhere to a style guide in any sort of way? Yeah. It doesn't need to for us. But Pixel Perfect well, is different. It doesn't need to. And so as a result, like we build up some design and technical debt because we don't adhere to anything and we don't spend mm. time worrying about that. Like that to me is minutiae that I don't want to be doing. Right. And I think today with like all the design tools we're seeing, they're hopefully extracting right. a lot of that. That's work what they should be doing, right? And letting us focus on like if we're gonna change the border radius of our buttons, let's not change it. 800 times (laughs) let's like have one knob where you dial it and you just watch your whole product change in real time in real time (laughs) yeah and i think that's like in design tools we have that we're seeing compositor does a lot of that which is pretty interesting yeah yeah compositor Mm -hmm. lab it's like this little tool anyways um lets you define constants and then build components around it it's pretty interesting Hmm. like in code yeah yeah so it's it's a react modifier basically oh okay it's it's a really interesting approach yeah, we've been using. There's an open source tool called um, Storybook. Yeah, that's like yeah. yeah, Storybook's nice. This is a little more design side than that. Okay, okay. Yeah, this idea of like knobs and being able to like, yeah, focus on the change as opposed to focusing on the yep. actual, you know, going through every layer and, and changing things one by one. Storybook's a neat tool, and there's a few more that have come out that I haven't had a chance to play with. This but we React played with Storybook. Storybook. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I like most about storybook is what you're saying like they have this plugin for it's like literally called storybook knobs Mm. and you can just (laughs) send in uh like define what types of what the type of a prop is so if it's a number it'll show you like a number input if it's uh like or it or it'll be a slider or something like that yeah or like text to override a button yeah text it'll give you an input field if it's a color to give you color picker like all this kind of stuff yeah it's really nice yeah we're using storybook now and have that little knob stab and it's awesome to go in and play with things yeah yeah um and i yeah i think sketch figma all these tools that are building up are helping us kind of do that as designers and that's where i think it's really cool where like we can get rid of a a lot of the busy work that we end up doing yes get back to the stuff that we love doing which is like envisioning new things and like painting beautiful pictures and (laughs) imagining a new world that's all i want to do man beautiful (laughs) pictures it's interesting (laughs) that you should phrase it that way actually i'm curious about that uh because Dropbox only recently seems to like have an aesthetic point of view or 
more out. Well, previously the point previously of, was like the point of white, view was white and blue, white and blue, right? <laughs> mm. And now it's not. So it seems like the shift is towards caring about like aesthetics. It and, feels and, like, highly artistic. And art, yeah, yeah. Um, rather than like I always had this image of Dropbox as functional, mm. and I quite like that feeling. But now it feels very artistic and expressionist. Yeah, I think the one thing that stands out to me the most in the brand is, and actually this is like played out in our office is all of the art we use we attribute so any art you'll find on our website or even in our office we now have these like big bold uh artwork by oh, that's um, cool. yeah. and that's really intentional it's not there just to be like hey we got some famous artists to make art for our website um it's really trying to put the creatives at the forefront and think about uh kind of showcasing their work getting them up front and center um and I think that's the the same thought with our product is not trying to take away the like the utility and like the ease of use, um, but trying to make your work that lives in Dropbox front and center. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can imagine like the utility version of Dropbox is when you come to the site, the focus is on like folders and the structure of your file system. <laughs> and like that's useful, but then your actual work gets hidden. Yeah. Um, and there's, you can't, uh, kind of feel the mark of the maker you can't feel how someone uh thought as they like made this file system or you know what their process was in you know this new brand campaign or in this new uh product you're working on and Mm -hmm. so the challenge for us as designers in dropbox is how do we tastefully uh kind of elevate your work that lives in dropbox without getting in the way of actually doing work like we don't want you to come to dropbox and feel like oh my goodness like all this new colorful stuff is everywhere and i can't find my file like what mm-hmm. what happened most of the product changes we've seen towards creativity have been around sketch is that accurate like sketch previewing more and there's like a isn't there like a preview mode or something yeah so there yeah as you were saying um we've done sketch previews recently uh paper has a lot of like new ways to preview either like a sketch file figma file uh framer prototypes yeah. yeah um we definitely think about paper as like this beautiful canvas to showcase your work. Sure. Um, there's also actual showcase. So we launched oh, Dropbox yeah. showcase, showcase is recently. what I was trying to think of the word. Yeah. yeah. Is that um, that's sketch only, right? Or is there Photoshop or something too? Uh, as far as embeds, I actually haven't used. It. I don't so, know. So yeah, how, let me, let me, let me give you the pitch on the showcase and how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't work on it, so um, I can talk highly about it without feeling egotistical. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, showcase is basically this. Um, Canvas where when you're done with a project or even if you're midway through a project, you can lay out all the things that you've been working on, all the the, the visual assets, but also text and how you've been thinking about the project on a canvas, um, similar to paper in that kind of blank white layout. Um, and you publish this view of all your work. It could be like a, a single folder in Dropbox that has um, maybe Photoshop files and exports. Um, and then you would share that with like a client or someone at your company Um, and it's just a really beautiful way to instead of sending someone a link to a folder with like a little body of text saying like hey fyi here's the finished proposal for our new building let me know if it looks good (laughs) yeah which is like super anticlimactic after you spent six months working on this project instead you can craft this like beautiful website showing how much thought went into it if you have multiple options that you want feedback on, you can lay that out in a tasteful way so that they're like, here's the one we really want. And then like, here's three alternative options in a grid. Um, and yeah, it's like a whole suite of tools built around that kind of 
sharing your work, getting feedback, uh, seeing analytics on you know who's viewed it, how long they spent on it, that kind of stuff. So um, it does include Photoshop then? So anything that lives in Dropbox can live in a showcase. Um, it. It's similar to paper in that there are some file types that are supported for embeds. I, I saw the announcement mentioned Sketch specifically. I didn't notice any other specific. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure what file types uh, would show like a preview versus just showing like an icon of the file and like a download button. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I think the way to think about it is like take a folder in Dropbox and then put a layer on top show of it. Show its contents. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. I, I think it's interesting to compare the expressionist kind of approach of the Dropbox brand with the product changes that seem to be more focused on um, like... I wouldn't call Sketch an expressionism tool. Like, it's it's not meant for that. Mm-hmm. How do you guys think? Like, Sketch isn't a tool for expression, right? It's a tool for creating things and like, like what? Pr- producing <laughs> what? Produ- that is it. Producing a product uh, rather than expressing yourself. Oh, I don't mm-hmm. know. Like self-expression versus like very utilitarian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hmm. I don't know that I agree, but I mean, I've made some pretty crazy self-expression stuff in Sketch. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I think any like graphics tool like sketches trying to enable expressiveness like how do we make it really easy to manipulate shapes color text uh really quickly and in a way that makes sense and then can be iterated upon with you know copying artboards or or resizing or things like that and we've see i see photoshop that way i don't see sketch that way well we've made it into a product design tool but well it was meant for product design like, yeah, that's I mean, what they built it for. I, I see what you're saying. Like Photoshop definitely seems like an upper bound of that because it was originally meant for photographers. So mm-hmm. it has like some crazy image and bitmap stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I guess Sketch, the one interesting thing that makes it more utilitarian is it limits its properties mostly by what's possible in the browser. Hmm. And if it was truly trying to be like a full self-expression yeah, tool, then yeah, they yeah. would probably break out of that bounds a little mm-hmm. bit more. And do things that aren't possible on websites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see what you're saying. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I just think it's easy. I think it's interesting to look at like the brand changes versus the like product changes and see how they're kind of like what they're trying to accomplish together. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. Uh, speaking of of this sort of iteration, you've only been on the design systems team for a couple months. Yeah, but you've been at Dropbox for a few years. Three years now, or Coming up on three years, yeah. yeah. So what were you doing before? So before design systems, uh, two months ago, I was on our growth team. So working on a lot of things like onboarding, um, figuring out what is the best way to kind of get new users into our product, get them to the right uh, product, um, and make sure they're successful. So that was about a year, past year, working on our growth team. And then the first two-ish years, uh, I was working on our Dropbox business product. So mm-hmm. I came before Dropbox, I was working at a company called OpenGov, doing like government finance, a lot of kind of tools for internal government employees and was really passionate about that space, like making powerful tools for people um, you know, on the inside. And so the transition into Dropbox was like, how do I uh, make tools so that the people who manage Dropbox at scale, like the admins, IT admins, um, can kind of, trust Dropbox, use it properly and make sure it's you know compliant. So first two years doing Dropbox business, third year doing growth, and then now design systems. Hmm. Yeah. And why why the changes at each transition? So 
after I think after my first year, um, we I was working on business and I was actually considering um, going more to our growth team. That's something that was kind of interesting to me. Um, and we decided to form this team called Admin X. And it was like the admin experience team. Is I think it was a pun playoff of like UX. Um, it's like we don't we're not user experience designers. We're admin experience designers. And we had this kind of big mandate. They were like, we're gonna finally get Dropbox to a place where it's like the top tier business solution, right? Like it's gonna pass all the kind of IT bars that people care about. We're mm-hmm. gonna get, um, we're finally gonna kind of get to a place where Dropbox isn't this like we call it shadow IT, where it's like people use Dropbox because they like it, but the IT org hates it. We're like we're finally gonna get to a place where the IT org loves us. And so I was like, that's that's a really cool team to be a part of. Um, and from the kind of top down of the company, we're like, this is going to be a design-led initiative. Like, we really want this to be about the experience of our admin tools, not just like checking off box and adding yeah, features. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so that's the, my second year why, like, I'm going to stay in business, but I'm kind of interested in the growth side of things. And then uh, after a year of that, it we knew that we didn't finish, that the, the project was still going to keep going on forever. Um, but internally, I felt like I had the satisfaction to say like, yeah, we like leveled up Dropbox at least one notch and we're now at a really good spot um, on the business IT lens. And so I'm like, time to go explore something else. I, I went into growth and then I love that. It was actually one of the best uh, teams of designers I worked on, like really awesome people. And at the, let's get into a whole other topic, but sort of at the end of that, uh, I had this subtle realization that there's like a, a fracture happening in the design community where there are, I think the design role is largely shifting into a PM role. And more and more, I felt like as a designer, I was doing the kind of work that a PM does and thinking about like high level strategy or like less so uh, working on like design visual details in Sketch and more so thinking about like growth models, A-B testing, that kind of stuff. And so I made a decision. I was like, I I actually want to like shift into the other camp of design and be someone who is a visual designer cares about interaction details and can just spend all day long uh, in Sketch, in Framer, making cool little details. Um, and so that's when I hopped over like two months ago. Why do you think that fracture is happening or split? I have some theories. Um, this the I can start first with like why I I guess had that thought or what yeah where that thought came from. Um, this was back in maybe like mid 2016 I had a conversation with I think Ryan Hassan uh, who's at Dropbox and we were talking about kind of the role of design and PM overlapping a bit and that sparked this project where I was like I'm going to go actually interview like 16 designers and PMs across uh, Dropbox and try to figure out like what is happening with like the roles like are they merging or is it just kind of staying apart like what's going on? Do you think PMs are coming over to the design side too? I don't see that as much. I see engineers coming to design, less so PMs. Um, I think, and it's hard for me to explain because it's not, I don't think of it as like designers are becoming PMs and PMs are becoming designers. Um, so it's less obvious, but it's, I think it's a subtle shift in how we think about our roles and where that kind of line in the sand is drawn between like what a designer is responsible for and then what a PM is responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we interviewed these designers and PMs, and the one thing 
I asked everyone was, I would ask you first, can you describe your role? So if I'm talking to a designer, I'd be like, Brian, what's, what's the role of a designer? What would you say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> on the spot, go. On the spot? Well, I mean, it depends. Depends on the company, size, team, product, customer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so no, that's a non-answer. Non-answer, yeah. We didn't give any of that, but we, we got people saying things like, for a designer, they'd say like, as a designer, my role is to think about the user, right? Think about their needs, their problems, um, and then design solutions that like solve those needs. Um, and the way I do that is through you know research, um, like kind of working in text documents, breaking down problem statements, and then ultimately going into Sketch or or you know framer prototyping and kind of laying out a possible solution. Um, and then we'd ask the designer, okay, then what's the role of a PM? And they would be like, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, they also think about the user and their needs, and like they work in paper and text documents and think about uh, how to solve this problem. And then ultimately, they either lean on the designer to think of the solution or they might go into a design tool themselves and think it up. And the same thing happened on the flip side. We would ask PMs, hey, what's the role of a PM? And they would give us a similar answer, like, ah, you know, I think about the user mm -hmm. and their problem and also the, the business problems. Um, and the more we dug into it, the more we saw that it wasn't that they actually did the same work on a day-to-day -day basis, but the way they thought about their role and the way that, you know, they the, the type of work they prided themselves in tended to overlap a lot. Interesting. Um, and so, yeah. So what did you do with those learnings? So we did a, one thing we did was like a workshop. We like kind of shared our findings um, and we tried to kind of help provide some guide rails for, especially for newer designers and PMs to say like, it may be confusing coming in and feeling like as a designer, the PM is doing your work or as a PM, the designer is doing your work. Um, don't worry, like embrace that ambiguity. And our, our like takeaway for most people was really just, this is going to sound cheesy, but like get to know your co-pilot, like yeah. know what their strengths are. If you're a PM, like know what type of work your designer likes is uh, your designer is someone who likes kind of thinking really deep on the user problem, researching, like thinking long, uh, or maybe she's someone that likes kind of sitting down with the PM and like hashing out, uh, you know, possible solutions. Like there's so many different variations of the designers and uh, on the flip side, variations of PMs that like we can't provide a silver bullet of like, these are the eight things designers do and these are the eight things that PMs do and like don't ever cross paths. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> destined for failure. It seems like a symptom of uh, specialization, right? Mm. Like there's there's overlapping disciplines between the two roles anyway, and I would say engineering even more so with design. Like you you see a lot of that. Like it, the decisions are being made um, within a given product, and so both people are going to try and solve it, and they'll be solved to different degrees in different ways. Yeah, right. So like the, I mean like the hot take is like they're all disciplines not roles you just separate them into roles yeah at some point but yeah and i think as the the actual day-to-day -day responsibilities become more specialized you might find uh the like visual interaction stuff being solved by like a smaller subset of people mm -hmm. design systems maybe um and you may find that uh you know research plays a bigger and bigger role in helping kind of be mm -hmm. part of that design process and so I'm not, I'm not so much scared that like huh, designers are going away or being replaced. Um, it's more that 
we're starting to specialize and the designers who do i think love the kind of product thinking and like big picture strategy type stuff they may find themselves calling themselves pms down the road or we may just get better at articulating what the role of a designer is or a product designer um but my takeaway at the time was like okay this is like the landscape is shifting a bit and i was i took some time to think like what is it that i want to be in five years and i was like I think I really like being a designer and I don't mind not being a quote unquote product designer. Like I'm fine just being someone who makes like pretty shit and <laughs> well, feels if, like it's if, beautiful. If they overlap, is it really like a matter of like how we call it a thing? Like is, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like know. what, it, what like, would no one wants like if we didn't have, this sounds lame, but product, titles. Like, product manager doesn't sound creative, right? So like people kind of balk at that to some degree, but the best PMs certainly are. Yeah. Yeah. I I was kind of good timing. I was reading a really interesting thread last night about why generalists have such a hard time at companies like this. Hmm. Because if you're a generalist that's into like going from strategy to research to pixels to implementation, you're kind of fucked because one, how do you even describe that when you're applying for a role? Because the roles are advertised as you're doing one of these mm. those four things, right? Yeah, yeah. And so then you land in the company and you're like, but I like all this, but you're telling me to spend all my time doing one. So I feel like my skills aren't being adequately used and the things that I am interested in conflict with all these other people. So now I have political problems. I'm less so, fulfilled as so a person. This, I'm going to go do a yeah. startup or go consult or something. <laughs> I had that my first week at Dropbox. Um my manager at the time, and actually still is, uh, Adam Pulselli, sat me down. We're doing our the ones, the ones, mom, the ones in future manager. We call him Cool Dad. Actually, he's <laughs> nice. <laughs> Shout out Cool Dad. Shout out Cool Dad. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, he was my manager for the first year, and then I had uh, another manager, E, and then now back on design systems. He's my new manager again. Um, UA, sorry, UA. Is that what oh, UA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Um, and actually, we're looking for a new manager now. So I might have a third manager, finally. Um, but anyways, so Adam sat me down my first week. And I was like so overwhelmed by Dropbox. I was like, you know, teach me. Like, tell me how to do everything. And I remember asking in our first one-on-one, like, oh, by the way, like, how, how do I make like a commit? Like, how do I, once I like get a product ready to ship and like, how do I like actually get access to GitHub and like ship some code? And he had the best. He was just like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Like, yeah, like, uh, you know, if I'm trying to change some CSS or something, like, do I talk with an engineer?" And he was like, "Oh, yeah, we don't really do that here." He's like, "We have engineers who are really good, and you don't need to worry about that anymore." And it was such a shift for me because I was a generalist and I prided myself on being able to code up what I designed. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I kind of had that pulled away from me, and I had to stand purely on my merit as a product designer i then had to like lean into that more um but i think yeah i could have gone the route of like feeling frustrated and feeling like if i can't code and can't ship things like why am i here um and i had to adapt and think about like if i'm not spending half my day writing code then like what am i doing and then the things that took my time were now actually things like you know working with research or uh working across the organ trying to figure out more like at a big company right you have so many like cross-functional things happening. So like different projects happening and trying to always stay up to date on um, like what the latest initiatives are. And I think looking back, it was the right call for Adam to be like, let's not dive into code just yet. Cause like 
you first need to kind of stand on your own as a product designer and like know that skill set. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. It seems like you had a pretty good response to that. Um, I think some people might not have a good response to it. And I think it's an interesting uh, like shift in, well, I guess it's not a shift. Like the way hiring is set up is like the expectation was that you would be designing. Well, you like and map so, like, a role to a function, right? Yeah. Like even if the functions often occur in the same person. Right. And that, I don't know. It's because they're so closely related though, right? Like you're you're thinking about the same details. You're just thinking about them in different ways. And yeah. then you have to communicate. It's like it's like an assembly line, but with a really bad conveyor belt. Like it's very faulty and it changes between people. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems to me that that maybe is also what was going on with like the PM designer roles. Like so much of that stuff overlaps and like it's trying, I don't know, it's hard to put people into those buckets. And then when people don't want to be put into those buckets, it's like this conflict of whose job is it? Cause I want to do both. Yeah. And I think you see it a lot at startups. Like when you don't sort of define every role as like a, you are a PM uh, mm-hmm. and you are a designer. It's sort of like, Oh, my name is Zach. I, I like design. I can write some code, pretty bad code, but I can write it. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, Hi, Zach. <laughs> I can also talk to our user, but I'm not like, I am a designer, a uh, developer, and a researcher. I'm just like, I'm a human being who is trying to make this company successful, and I'll do anything yeah, I can. Why don't functions? they just have like fucking hiring pages for human beings? Like, we're, <laughs> we're looking to hire three humans. You need uh, to know how to do programming function <laughs> and uh, sketch function and... <laughs> talk to people i guess yeah <laughs> it's like the matrix where like neo downloads his necessary skill right. set it's like that'd be great i'm super into that <laughs> if, if i could just download things that'd be awesome i'd download Kung i'd Fu like a sure. neural lace and a new spine while i'm at it thank you yes yeah. yes <laughs> yeah i think we we often in larger companies need to specialize but then we forget that everyone comes from some interesting background like there's so many designers who are uh like teachers architects librarians in the past and it's like those skill sets actually offer a new lens mm-hmm. and like yes you may know sketch and you may know how to do design things but you're also a human being with like an interesting other set of skills um and people who come from startups might know how to write code or mm-hmm. they might know how to talk to users or some some other yes you know useful skill set and we i think we can sometimes lose that in labeling people as product designers and being like you do a product design role and nothing else I, let me float an idea that's coming through my head and I'm, it could be totally wrong and I'll get shit for it. Um, it seems to me that there's so many other roles involved in building a product. I'm thinking of like engineering research, content strategy, product management. And DevOps. design is like little bits of all that. Mm. And as a result, it seems to me that a a design role is about like collaboration and communication and that's the PM too, though, and right? It happens to have a dedication to time to like execute on like the visuals. I don't know. There's more to yeah. that. There's like uh, there's there's taste and aesthetics, and there's some definite like craft elements to it, and that's why it's its own roles because there is like a required craft. But at the same time, it's like I don't think you can be a good designer if you can't understand what's good copy versus bad copy or you don't know how to talk to a user or you don't know how to talk to an engineer like yeah seems like you're just going to be a stunted designer right yeah well if if your output which i would say for most designers is at best an image of ui right like a sketch file or whatever it is it's 
an image of UI, not like actual UI, the whole goal is communication then, right? Like you have to communicate that to the next org in the chain. Yeah. Um, or next person role, whatever. Yeah, I think one superpower of the best PMs that I've seen is um, they they may not know how to write the code that an engineer on their team writes, or they may not know how to hop into Sketch and like make the same product that a designer would make, but they have enough insight into the other roles that they can, I don't know, sort of be the chess master and think about the team as a whole. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe design is starting to become that. Like, you know, the design, you know, should designers code question is, I think better said is like, should designers be aware of how to write code and like <laughs> yeah. be aware of the constraints? Um, and for myself, for the past three years, I've started to learn the same kind of skill set for the PM world of like, as a designer, knowing what it's like to be a PM or knowing what uh, kind of keeps them up at night, what problems they face. And it's not about how do you spreadsheets? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the proper macros in Excel. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know if like a designer needs to be able to hop in the shoe of a PM and take that responsibility. But I think at least knowing like what it is that they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and if they're out sick for a week, like they're not going to be so dependent on the PM to communicate progress uh, to other teams in the company or to work with engineering that like the team shuts down. The the PMs I've worked with that were really good and the thing that I, I liked the most was they brought in context that would have been otherwise impossible or too time-consuming context for me to have gathered on mm -hmm. my own. So for example... Um, this product team on the opposite side of the company, I'm in touch with their PM and they're starting this really interesting project yeah. and it might synergize really well with what we're working on. And it seems like that's uh, PMs are in this unique position where they can bring, like bridge those gaps between teams uh, or between disciplines yeah, because they have a little bit more of like a broad perspective on what's going on. Yeah, But um, is that just like a... They're, or at least like the, the good ones seem to have that quality. Is that kind of like because they're poking their heads up, they see it? Or is it because their discipline suits it better? Because I definitely see like engineers sharing things, designers sharing things. So what hmm. what denotes that that yeah, function should no, do No, I it? think they're sharing things um, like design systems and code and that kind of stuff. And I think product managers are sharing like product ideas. Not that the other disciplines aren't, but that's what the product managers do all day. Hmm. Yeah. And thus they have more time to go broad and and get exposure to a lot of different ideas. I don't know. Yeah. And I think it's it, kind it, of it, off the hip, but that's one experience I've had that was really great. It's like yeah. this person went to 10 meetings that I wouldn't have never had time <laughs> to go to. And they figured out like here's all these opportunities for us to to build something better than what we would have built on our own. Yeah. And PMs do need heads down time, but yeah, I think a lot sure. of their yeah, yeah. a lot of their time is spent kind of networking across the org or kind of meeting people and seeing what's happening. Engineers are probably, I, I love um, this book, Deep Work by Cal Newport. And he mm -hmm. talks about kind of heads down time, the important of like four hour stretches of really deep, um, like high quality work. And engineers seem to be the biggest kind of proponents of that kind of work, needing to uh, shut out the outside world for four or five hours a day to get their work done. And I see some designers uh, doing that. You're like, you know, go to some quiet place, don't bother me, turn off all communication. Um, and then there are other designers who I think work in smaller increments of time and spend a lot of their time kind of figuring out what's happening across the org 
It's so, almost like humans are hard to put into boxes. Exactly. <laughs> Unless it's a Dropbox. Back to the idea wow. of hiring humans. We just hire people. Yeah. Like we don't that. care. What Our do. new HR strategy. Should designers HR? <laughs> so you made the decision to really just focus on on what you feel is like the design role. Yeah. Rather than trying to maybe move towards like a PM or like a management. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if there was a kind of turning point where uh, someone mentioned there's another PM in passing. He's like, oh, Zach, I sometimes forget you're a designer. You're kind of like half PM. And for like 30 seconds, I took that as a compliment. And I was like, nice. <laughs> like a PM saying they see me as a PM. That's Sick. awesome. And then it really started to keep me up at night and think like, am I bad at sketch? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I don't know how to do anything. <laughs> and I was like, ah. it's like when someone pays you a compliment on like a really nice haircut. And it's like, I don't like, I, like a minor haircut. And it's like, wait, was it really that bad before? Like you start thinking about it and you're like, oh man. So I started to think about why it was that this person viewed me as a PM more than a designer. And then, uh, yeah, eventually that like keeping myself up at night turned into like I need I need to focus on something where it's once again being a designer no no confusion with the PM world and um yeah but I love it I I really love the like design systems world and it's heating up a lot so well it you... is it is the hot topic at the moment which is kind of cool like what what are you seeing going on in the space in terms of like most companies at Dropbox's size are spinning up design systems teams and a lot of them are, talking about this are starting it way earlier too which is kind of weird to me yeah but you're a smaller company size yeah you're talking about like the it's a hot thing so like everyone wants to do it yeah yeah figma's having dinner for it uh envisions putting out like uh they wrote a book about it uh figma website uh, website about it like there's conferences about it yeah um so what are you what are you seeing now that you're like really dedicated in that space yeah and i think every time i've seen a new resource put out about it um i get really excited and like go read it try to figure out like what are the new nuggets i can learn from this and I think what I've seen is largely people basically trying to shift the industry to respect design systems or say, not. I don't think designers don't respect design systems, but a lot of times companies need convincing. Um, they need to know the benefits of investing in a system as opposed to just you know, flying by the seat of your pants. Um, to what extent is that different than how uh, style guides have been internalized over the past like, 15, 20 years, though? Yeah, I, I think maybe it's more around the the need to have like a dedicated team behind it. Like style Mm -hmm. guides are often just, you know, the collective unit coming up with like, oh, these are the kind of things we use. One person champions it, makes a sketch file. And that's documentation of like a entire system rather than rather than infrastructure, rather than like a team dedicated to not building new things, right? Not building a new product, but purely building a foundational layer. And I think that's why it takes more convincing, especially for a smaller company. If you only have four designers and you have a pretty aggressive roadmap, it's tough to say like one of these designers is not going to build the next new shiny feature we need or, you know, to work on growth and increasing our metrics. Um, But instead, they're just going to build stuff that makes the other designers and engineers faster. Um, So I think I've seen a lot of like I think uh, Envision's design systems guidebook is a lot of uh, resources to help designers and design systems teams kind of make the case for why um, they should invest in that at the company. Um, what I would love to see more and more of is like the best practices put out there and people taking strong opinions on like what's the way to actually implement a design system. Um, even getting down to the nitty gritty details of like how to weigh the pros and cons of like the tools you have out there and should you support designers working in Sketch, Figma um, and every other prototyping tool or should a design system 
kind of invest the resources in one tool. Is is part of your job going to be to share your team's learnings with other people that's with the industry? Yeah, I mean that's something that I'm personally passionate about. I, in mentioning that we're uh, dig and like trying to figure out a name, I think we would eventually like to publish some of our work. Um, but right now, our, again, our customer is the Dropbox employee, and we need to first solve their problems. But yeah, I think as soon as we can start to have opinions that are worth sharing and, and feel like we can put something solid forward, um, I would love to do that. When do you think a team shouldn't start a design system project? When's too early? I don't know. I, I think back to like my days at OpenGov, where it was myself and one other designer. And even then, it felt empowering to have a system. It was less about me and the other designers working with was uh, Andrew Liebchen, who's at Facebook. And he was actually the one who championed our design system at OpenGov. And it was less about him being like, hey, Zach needs a design system to do his work. You know, his visual design sucks. And like, I'm going to make sure he's <laughs> he's doing this properly. That, that's why I do one for Brian. <laughs> cool, cool. <laughs> um, so I think for us, our our reason to do a design system, other than like we liked, it was a fun hobby, uh, was for the engineering side. So like engineers were currently bottlenecked by design. There was like 15 engineers and two designers. And a lot of times we were kind of playing catch up on the work they were doing. And so a system um, was a tool for us to kind of cut down on the redlining, cut down on all of our exporting. Um, and if there was a, you know, a change that was going to happen or like a simple update to the product, they didn't actually have to come through us to figure out the right button. And I think I've heard people talk about like the ability to phone in a design, right? Like how easy is it for someone like an engineer um, to have, or sorry, a designer to tell an engineer like, hey, make this page. It's going to have our header, a table with the data we want to display and, you know, a primary button on the right side. And like, does that quick explanation give the engineer enough to go off of? Or does the designer need to spend eight hours in sketch, rebuilding the whole thing, showing that, okay, there's actually 40 pixels padding <laughs> on the right. And like, no, don't do that. <laughs> rows are 64, like all these like little things. And so for a small team, if, if you're in a place, I would say that like engineering is uh, blocked by design and you're spending a lot of your time answering kind of dumb questions, then a design system may be a right step. It doesn't have to be like a comprehensive every edge case, um, but just the kind of common pieces that you keep uh, going back to. I don't know. Well, we usually end by asking what keep you, what's keeping you up at night, but it sounds like you've said several times what's keeping you up at night. <laughs> I guess a lot of things are keeping me up at night. I think the one thing that I mentioned this in this hour was, you know, the sci-fi stuff, right? Like, where is our future? And actually, that's that is the thing that like I care the most about is Starship design systems. Starship design systems, yeah, uh, yeah, building the next rocket. Like anything, I think the the beauty of the Bay Area, the like tech industry here is that people are optimistic. People generally aren't fearful that like the future is gonna suck. They sometimes talk about that, but generally they're like, the future is gonna be cool and I wanna make it happen quicker. And so the thing that I wanna spend my time on is like accelerating the speed to which we get to the sci-fi world. Like how quickly can we get to Star Trek or how quickly can we get to a- Make sci-fi, not sci-fi. <laughs> exactly, that is that is my mission statement. Um, how will you know that we've arrived? Well, I think we have arrived in a lot of ways. Like if you think about the the time it takes to go from one era to the next is increasing. So like uh, Wait But Why has this interesting uh, way to explain it. That's like, I think he talks about 
George Washington or some historical figure. And like, if they were to be teleported to the future, they would, you know, hysterically probably die of just like being overwhelmed by all the technology we have. Like, well, we have like planes in the sky and like these devices that can beam information across. But he would actually, if you like take that for what it's worth and think about like how far in the future would he have to go from where he, like his actual era to sort of wake up in a new era and be so overwhelmed that he falls dead. Uh, that distance of time isn't actually to today. It's actually like maybe 200 years in the future. Um, maybe you'd have to go to the Industrial Revolution to go like to to experience something where he's like, this is insane. And then from that era, how far forward? And it yeah. keeps getting shorter yeah, and shorter. Yeah, yeah. And like, I think in the next 10 years, even though we'll, it'll feel kind of subtle, like it happens slowly at first. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, we now have like Neuralink in our head. <laughs> and what are iPhones? Like Asimov's rules have been signed into law. Yeah. <laughs> we have robots over. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's it's kind of already here, but then the the speed to which we get to the next big shift is what I'm excited about. And like, can we make that not 20 years, but 15 years or 10 years? What's your hypothesis that's going to be the next big shift? Uh, next big shift. Or next big thing. ML, AR, VR, AI, Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Wow. Blockchain. It's, it's, never, saw... it's never what you think, right? Like yeah. it's, it's always... The, the the boring dumb thing that like maybe catches your attention for six months changes away with Bitcoin to credits and we're like good <laughs> <laughs> star credits yeah star no, credits. credits like Star Wars okay sure oh like God. The Battlefield Two thing yeah and you can oh, exchange just, them for badges. no like in Star Wars like in the movies it's called credits oh that's what, the money yeah that'd be great no, clearly we're not big enough Star Wars nerds <laughs> actually I no am, one no I, one is a big Star Wars nerd compared to Bryn including <laughs> George. Lucas. Bryn, you'll love this, but I and think when is the next Star Wars movie coming out? Next Thursday? December 15th. So two weeks from now. Uh my friend got me tickets to go see the new movie. It's a good uh, friend, dude. I don't have yeah. tickets. Shit, that's a really good friend. But here's here's the catch. It's at the Alamo Draft House. Yes, I'll be your date. In uh SF. Yeah, you can come be our third wheel. Um and the thing is you have to watch if you want to watch the new movie on premiere night, you have to watch every episode of Star Wars. Up until that. So it starts, I think, Wednesday at 1 a.m. And with episode one, and you can't leave the theater. You're like, you can go to the bathroom and whatnot. Yeah. But like, you can't come in midway through. They have good food there. So they do. They have beer. Pretty dope. That pizza, sounds popcorn. like a really fucked up torture chamber. Hey, so it's going to be w- I just when, wanna let you a know really I'm, nerdy torture chamber. Brian, I'm taking a two day vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, sorry, we cut you off. <laughs> That's the end of the story. But yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be sitting in a movie when, theater for three days. <laughs> when we get to episode eight, I think there are going to be tears, like the most confused tears out there of like, this is beautiful, but I'm also sleep deprived. And like, <laughs> why did I do this? And the, also, uh, they just made us watch one, two, and three. I went yeah. to the opening of The Force Awakens. The day before for some like investor of ours at Figma that like did an advanced screening or whatever. And I had to do Star Wars trivia beforehand and I won a lightsaber. <laughs> wow. It's great. A real it, one. It, real, it works. Yeah. Yep. I, it's impressive. He, that's why Brian's missing limbs. Cuts through shit all the time. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that actually. When he gets mad, he like, and I go, oh, sorry, dude. And then I usually leave. That's a good sound effect. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> And this has been a new segment on design details called Star Wars Noises. Well, Zach, thanks for letting us ramble around you. <laughs> thanks for having me. This has been awesome. That was 225. Thanks so much to Zach for coming and hanging out with us. 
Thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch, spectrum.chat slash beckfm. We've got a design details channel in there. We post every episode. So we're in there all day long, every day. All day, every day. It's our whole day day job. Just Um, managing that. Of course, before we we leave you here to go about your way. Before we abandon you. Uh, thanks so much to to our sponsors that make the show and this episode possible. First up, Pork Bun. If you want to register your very own special, unique dot design domain name and get some sweet, sweet pork while you're at it, there's never but been more a better about the time. domain name. Basically, imagine there's this, never been this, a better this time. Right now is like the '90s, but for buying dot design domain names, uh, the, the window's short. The getting's good. Uh, get in while you can. Go to porkbun.com. Use the promo code SPEC, S-P-E-C. Yeah, check out. Uh, it's going to get you a free domain uh, with tons of goodies from Porkbun, like who is privacy, SSL certificates, and more. Thanks once again to Porkbun. And our other sponsor, Fuse. Fuse is making it so you can get their Fuse Pro plan for what, 70% off for 12 months. If you go to fusetools.com, you can upgrade the way that you and your team build applications together and save a ton of money on that professional. Well, technically, thing. you can do it for free, but if you want the really, really good tools, then that's one more. Yep. Upgrade. But we'll save you money. Yep. Upgrade your workflow today at fusetools.com. And if you're all about that professional life, use the promo code design. Use the promo code DD at checkout. Sure for desire. details. <laughs> details. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks once again to Fuse. Uh, yeah, what I do next. See you next week. Can you leave that part in, Sarah? Thanks once again to Fuse. We'll see you next week.